0: Hey, this is Dwayne Larson, and welcome to It's a Music Thing, a podcast about, well, you guessed it, music. Each week, I'll try to bring you new stories from artists and other people in the music industry. I want to make this podcast one of your go-to music podcasts. There are a few ways you can help me make this happen. Go subscribe on iTunes, and if you feel so inclined, rate us. Also, tell your friends about It's a Music Thing. Nothing like word-of-mouth advertising. That goes a long, long way. Also, check out and follow our social media pages, It's a Music Thing MB on Instagram. Uh, on Facebook, it's It's a Music Thing. The website is itsamusicthing.com. Also, if you f- want to, drop me a line at it'samusicthing mb at gmail.ca if you have a show idea or would like to be interviewed or heck maybe you even know someone that wants to be interviewed all right enough of my droning on and on let's get on with the show Uh, first and foremost, who am I talking to today?
1: Uh, you're talking to uh, Dave Lake, uh, singer, guitar player, songwriter for Diesel Boy.
0: Awesome. Um, so, and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and talk to me. I know it's a like we had kind of talked off air. It's 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 a little weird. You have a few more balls up in the air than I do with kids and homeschooling and stuff like that. So, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk to me
1: yeah no worries yeah they're not the kids are not here today otherwise it would uh you'd hear me (laughs) screaming screaming at them to quiet down in the (laughs) background
0: yep i'm I'm sure it could only be pandemonium for sure so Uh,
1: i've got uh i've got identical twin uh 12 year old boys oh
0: boy yep you know Yep.
1: You got to run them like puppies, but, but it's hard. They're, they're happy playing Fortnite uh, on the Xbox all day, but, uh, but that doesn't make me happy. So no. trying to balance that with uh, you know with doing a little bit of schoolwork and, and stuff in between Fortnite sessions.
0: So kind of what I like to like to do when I get a chance to talk to especially one person from a band is I, I kind of like to do a deep dive into kind of their past or your past and can you remember i like to call this the way back machine so let's go way back to when you're a a young dave lake and can you remember the first bit of music you ever heard that wasn't like a lullaby or something like that where you were kind of really drawn to it
1: Hmm. i don't know that i can remember the first piece of music i heard um you know, growing up, my folks had uh, like Beatles records and stuff from the 60s Dylan and Crosby, Souls, and Nash. And um, I think before I was aware of what my own tastes might be, that that's the stuff that I would listen to and it was playing in the house. Um, I know that when. Um, I remember, uh, at some point being with my dad and him telling me that I could buy a record, uh, like basically choose anything in the store and buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, I was, uh, sort of mesmerized by the kiss section. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, I don't know how old I was. I must've been, you know, I don't know, nine or 10. Uh, and, um, I'm sure it was the makeup and the, you know, the costumes and all that. But the, the record that I picked out was this weird record called The Elder, which doesn't have their uh, faces and stuff on the cover. And it's like a weird, it's one of their like weird worst records. So I didn't do a very good job of picking out like <laughs> a great this record. But, um, but I don't know that I have a sense of like what the, you know, the, the first
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, music or song songs I heard.
0: Were. And so, so growing up, you play you play guitar and sing. When when did you pick up your first instrument? Uh,
1: probably twelve or thirteen. I had a good friend who was also learning the guitar, and so I, uh, you know, convinced my parents to get me an electric guitar and uh, and an amp. And uh, I, it didn't really stick. I took I took some lessons, but um, uh, it didn't really. I, I guess I, I learned some stuff then. It wasn't until I was probably a few years older, like 15 or 16, when I could sort of apply it more directly with friends who were also playing and uh, uh, and sort of playing with other people that it, it kind of stuck. But I guess as as like a you know as a pre as a tween or early teen, I got my first guitar, uh, and I think I spent a lot of I spent a lot of years like uh just learning not taking lessons and learning chords and mm-hmm. learning how to play songs, but like easy songs like you like kind of the stuff I was talking about, like Dylan songs or you know Crosby Stills and Nash and you know the Beatles, but you know not the more sophisticated stuff, but you know if you learn a few chords, you can play a lot of that like sixties kind of folk stuff, and then at some point i I took lessons and started learning theory and scales and uh and then my uh, along with all of the stuff that I was required to do, my teacher would let me learn, like, one song that I wanted to every week, and so I could go through my CDs or whatever and, and pick out stuff.
0: And at this time, you and you were living in L.A. at the time? Yep. And were you going to shows? Like, when when did you kind of start going out to see live yeah, music? Yeah, I was
1: a... I mean, I was a teenage metalhead. Yeah. Um, uh, although prior to that, I had a friend who's... Uh, whose dad was president of a uh, a big concert promoter called Niederlander, uh, and they booked shows at the Greek Theater and the Pacific Amphitheater. And so he took me to my very first concert. I think it was 1986, and it was Men at Work. Oh, nice. um And, um, yeah, so I would have been maybe 13 and, and, uh, yeah, I just remember, you know, the lights and how loud it was and, you know, it just sounded amazing. And Mm -hmm. of course we had great heat because, you know, his dad ran the company. Uh, one of the perks, I guess, of, of growing up in a place like Los Angeles is, you know, sometimes you had friends whose parents were in the entertainment business and, uh, uh, so I got to enjoy some of that. And so we, he took me to t- tons of shows. Uh, Men at Work was the first one. And, you know, I don't know, you know, through the, you know, years that we were friends, um, we definitely definitely saw a lot of stuff there. You know, was, uh, stuff that I liked and then some stuff maybe that I didn't like. And then uh, as I got older, you know, uh, 15, 16 through the rest of high school, I was a, a teenage metalhead. And so my uh, – I. I would definitely, I had like a, a um, you know, a hair metal buddy and we would see everything that, that came to town, you know, all the big shows. And uh, and then once we could drive at 16, you know, this was like in the heart of the late 80s on the Sunset Strip, you know, mm-hmm. we would go to the Roxy and the Troubadour and uh, places like that, the the clubs and, and see, you know, sort of like uh, popular local hair metal bands, like uh, tough and uh, Pretty Boy Floyd, some of them ended up getting record deals, and some of them didn't, but, yeah. you know, uh, but, you know, I was super into Motley Crue and Iron Maiden and Metallica and Def Leppard and, you know, uh, some good, some bad, but, you know, I sort of... Uh, and growing up in, in L.A., there was a, a, a station, an FM station, called KNAC, and all they played was metal. I think maybe it was one of the only stations in the country that had an all-metal format, so it was a good place to be a a metal head and you know so that that was sort of my my formative musical years you know it was definitely uh metal
0: and so you got to see kind of the 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 crest i guess the rise and i guess the fall of kind of that hair metal metal scene in the epicenter which would have been la what what was that scene like going to shows and kind of checking out all that stuff because i can't even it i can't even fathom that
1: yeah, I mean, you know, uh, on the you know the big shows were great. There was always you know they were all they were always packed, and you know sometimes they were a little scary as like a sort of sheltered suburban, you know, like I don't know if that was suburban, but you know, sort of sheltered, you know, middle class team. There were definitely you know uh, we were on the younger side of people going to shows, and you know I remember seeing. Um, I remember seeing Metallica, and there was—I don't remember what happened—and there was some long delay, and people were like cutting the foam out of the seats and you know throwing <laughs> the the foam around the arena. And I remember being at—I uh, think it was Monsters of Rock. I think Metallica. I think it was Metallica, Van Halen, Dokken, Kingdom Come. The, I'm Scorpions maybe. And there was like a big food fight between the people in the stands and the. Uh, you know, people on the, uh, on the lawn. And, you know, there were some moments that I felt a little unsafe, Yeah, uh, but nothing too crazy. And then, you know, on the Sunset Strip, um, we were kind of too young to really sort of get it or enjoy the benefits. You know, most of the people were older and had long hair and we were just these kind of like dopey, dorky kids who were, you know, uh, mostly out of our element. I think if I had been, you know, Five or six years older, it would have been a whole other thing. But yeah. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, it was like a you know something out of a movie. Is like you know everyone in leather pants and the hairspray, and you know uh, g- girls in skimpy outfits, and you know uh, and uh, on Friday and Saturday night, it was wall to wall like you know hair metal uh, folks. And and the Rainbow uh, was right next to the Roxy, which was this kind of legendary. Uh, metal bar we weren't old enough to get in i mean i've i've since been there but at the time you know we were like 16 17 18. One uh one anecdote is that you know when the when metallica's black album came out uh tower records in hollywood stayed open till midnight uh the you know the night before it came out and so they could sell the record and i remember you know uh me and my friend todd uh you know waited in line uh on this long line with all the other metalheads so we could be the first people you know in the world to buy Metallica's black album and uh and Metallica had a camera crew uh outside of the store when people were coming out and so there is uh a brief scene of me in uh, th- there's a I don't know what year it came up but Metallica has this like two VHS Collection called A Year and a Half in the Life of Metallica, and it's like the making of the Black Album and the tour. And there's a segment that where the, you know they're showing the people in this line. And so me and my friend Todd come out of the store, and uh, Todd says to the camera, "Come to LA soon, guys. We miss you." And I say, "Peace," uh, <laughs> and then we walk off camera. So there is. Uh, you can see a young Dave Lake. At, I don't know. 17 or 16 years old uh uh, it's on youtube somewhere uh, a year and a half Metallica I was just
0: gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna have to youtube that today that's that's amazing
1: I'm wearing an Edie Brickell and the new Bohemians t-shirt and I have uh, an appalling kind of mullet (laughs)
0: um so 15 16 years old you start playing a little more serious you're going to shows uh when do you start your first band
1: Uh, I had a band with, uh, like, kind of a goofy band with some friends in high school called Punkus Funkus. And, uh, you know, I I would say we were inspired by, uh, you know, the Ramones and Weird Al and uh, Primus and I don't know, whatever, you know, uh, some of us like metal. you know, we—I don't know—we—we I, I, we weren't really going for a specific sound. We weren't really a—I mean, we—we we weren't a real band in the sense that we were—we took it seriously. Uh, we had, you know, I went to—I went to a private school in Los Angeles, and uh, there was jazz band, um, and um, uh, so we—all the musicians would take jazz band, uh, and and I learned a lot. Uh, you know, there were some really good players in those classes, and you know, even though jazz wasn't really, uh, any of our things at that point, you know, we, we did kind of learn a lot in, uh, in, in, playing in a band. And, uh, we would always, uh, all the guitar players, there was one PV amp, uh, that had good distortion. And so we'd all fight over that every day. <laughs> and then, uh, when it came time to solo, you know, we'd click on the distortion pedal and, you know, start doing metal licks and we would drive our jazz band uh, teacher insane. Um, so we had we had a, a band. We would sometimes practice after school, like in the in the band room, and we would play at like you know school events or something. I mean, we had a handful of songs, but they were all ridiculous, and mm-hmm. uh, the, you know the lyrics were really stupid. We were trying to be stupid, and uh, you know uh, we played. I think we played one gig at our guitar player's temple sleepover, uh, and um, and we. We had glad trash bags that we poked holes in and we wore those as like a poncho. Like that was like our stage attire. Uh, and after about two songs, the, oh, the rabbi came right to the stage and was like, turn it down, turn it down. <laughs> uh, so I'm not sure we got to finish our set. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we would play like, you know, the school talent shows and, and, and things like that. But it, it, wasn't a, it wasn't really a real band. Uh, I think I played bass. Okay. Uh, and a couple of us. I mean, I, loosely. I mean, you know, my, my, my bass playing is a, a, a slightly worse than my guitar playing, which is very good. So, um, yeah.
0: So when when did you start to kind of take it a little more serious after the Punkus Funkus?
1: Um I guess uh, college. Um, I uh, I in college I was the um, I I got super into the college radio station, like my freshman year, uh, I took that class and was a DJ and had a college radio show, and so all four years that I was there, I was pretty involved in the college radio station, and uh, eventually sort of was the assistant music director, I think my sophomore year, and then my uh, junior and senior year, I was the music director of the college radio station. and that was super fun because, you know, I got exposed to all kinds of music and I was, um, you know, I had a radio show and, and met other uh, folks interested in music and sort of got to understand a little bit uh, the music business. You know, this was, um, you know, uh, this was in the early 90s, but there was, you know, there was a, a college trade magazine called CMJ, the College Music Journal, and all the music directors would report to the their playlists and stuff. And so I, I got to, you know... Uh, interact with the radio departments of, of labels. And, uh, and in that class, um, there was uh, uh, another guy that had similar musical interests as me. We sort of were interested in, you know, uh, kind of pop punk and power pop and, and we seemed to have similar, similar taste in, in bands. And uh, he was a bass player. And, uh, you know, I, I had a, I guess I, I had a guitar, but I don't know, I can't remember how much I was playing at the time, but so we sort of had this idea, like, let's start a band. And so he and I um, just started playing and, and writing songs, and uh, we eventually found a drummer and another guitar player, and, uh, and you know, that was probably 1993, so maybe like my, my junior year of college, uh, you know, the very first iteration of Diesel Boy, which mm-hmm. was... Uh, much different than uh, it eventually became was sort of was sort of born and we we would practice um, in our our drummer's garage Um, and uh, yeah our songs were crude but yeah we 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 practiced regularly and just kind of figured it out and so diesel boy was kind of my first real band
0: okay and the first yeah the first i guess real serious band where it all of a sudden doesn't become, hey, this is for fun. We're just playing in a garage to, oh, shit, we're making money with this now, sort of, well, somewhat. <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, I, we never made a ton of money. Yeah. certainly that version. You know, we were all students, and, um, but we did, you know, we did practice. We, uh, you know, we made a demo. We used the demo to uh, get gigs. Uh, so, you know, I played my first show, and I, you know, was terrified to sing in front of people. Uh, and, you know, we would, um, make flyers and, you know, put them up on telephone poles and, you know, it was a college town. So we'd put them up all, all over the the college or whatever, and, you know, sort of learned the hustle of being a a local band. Uh, you know, I also, uh, I made, uh, I, I wrote fake reviews of our, uh, of our band, um, yeah. To put in a press kit, which is what you'd actually have back then. So you know, back then it was a cassette tape with like I don't know what was in there, maybe a photo and like a bio, and and so I, I had like four reviews that I totally made up from publications that didn't exist. Oh, that's like, amazing! I tried to make it look like newspaper font and like photocopied and photocopied, and you know, we managed to get. I don't know, it probably had nothing to do with that, but you know, uh, you know, we managed to start getting shows at the at the local at the local places in town. And it was because we were in college and we had a million friends and we, you know, lived in the dorms, you know, I, I think the first show, our very first show, you know, we broke the attendance record at the, the little club that we played at. It was packed. And I mean, I was totally scared out of, out of my mind, but you know, because we had so many friends and, you know, uh, we hadn't played, you know, a ton of people came to our very first show.
0: And was, you guys were the headliner for that show? I
1: have probably, but I I don't don't recall.
0: um, So you're going to college and working at the, the, what were you going to college for? Uh,
1: Studying communications.
0: Okay. So, I mean, I guess that ties in perfectly to the uh, kind of running the radio station. Did you ever think of maybe pursuing a a career in radio?
1: Kind of. I mean, I really liked having, uh, I liked having my radio show. Um, I mean no, nobody really listened to it but uh, but it was super fun um, and you know you got to do like you know there was a little production studio and so you could make uh, I think you were required to make a little like uh, commercial for your show and um, and uh, the, uh, for a brief time I think I don't know if it was in college or after college, I interned for a guy that I knew from the station who worked at this trio of radio stations, and you know there was like a an FM rock station and a, maybe a talk station and a something else. Uh, but it was a super kind of corporate environment, and you know like the sales guys were wearing suit and ties, and mm-hmm. I, 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 it was much less you know much less appealing. I mean, I, I considered it, I guess, but. Uh, you know, I my I, I aspired to find a job in the music business, uh, not necessarily radio. I did like radio, but I, I don't know. It just it, I, I it was a it's a weird radio is a weird world, and the, the music business uh, appealed to me more. I, while I, you know the the one of the cool things about being a college student and doing the radio station was that because of that it gave me the opportunity to um, uh, do things like internships and, you know, Mm -hmm. one summer, one summer, uh, when I was home from school, you know, I, I loved bad religion and I was a big fan of epitaph. And because I was the music director, you know, I had their contact info and I called them up and said, Hey, you know, do you guys do internships? And I'm a college student and I love the label. And, you know, uh, so, uh, you know one summer uh between years i spent you know uh five days a week you know uh interning at epitaph for uh, a guy named jeff abarda who I, if you know the no effect song uh uh what is it uh, uh jeff wears Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It, it is about jeff abarda who i interned for for a summer and you know i, I learned a ton i you know those this was pre uh pre-offspring uh this was i think the the bad religions recipe for hate uh oh, okay. was coming up and they had pennywise and they had rancid and they had the offspring but they hadn't gotten big yet and so it was, i think there was maybe eight employees and so you know for a summer i sat in this office and uh you know got to learn how a how a punk label functioned and i i made press kits for bands and i sent posters to record stores where bands were going on tour and i you know looked through the fanzines that were coming through and cut out reviews and put them you know in, in files and you know just sort of did basic
2: tasks
1: that <clears throat> you know an intern would do but i i got to understand um you know how a label worked and then and then i at, at a later point i i interned at, at fat as well i think i was the first intern they ever had i remember talking to Aaron uh Fat Mike's wife uh they were married at the time and she was like well we never she's like I never had an intern but I guess we could figure something <laughs> out so I think I was the first intern they ever had and so and it was a it was a long drive I went to uh I went to college at Sonoma State which is like uh an hour north of San Francisco so it was a long drive to get down there and I, I didn't do it every day I did it a few days a week mm-hmm. I think or maybe over the summer but uh but so I, I, you know, had a similar experience interning
0: at Fat. But that's going to be a huge, I mean, a huge learning curve for you to, like, be able to see the behind the scenes, how everything's working, how everything's ran. And, I mean, if you're at all serious about, I don't know if you were serious at that point about being, like, a full-time touring band that goes out and makes money and comes back and does the, the kind of, the, the record recording Tour recording tour thing, but that must have been a huge, huge kind of thing to learn.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, I mean, I guess the most important thing was that I knew the people at the label. Um, uh, besides just you know a kind of general getting a, a sort of better understanding of how it works, but I don't think I really understood the ins and outs of it until you know we were on a label and. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, sort of g- going through it. But, yeah, certainly, I, I don't know that I thought, I, I don't know that I really thought back then that we could get signed and, and do that. Um, but, um, you know, uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I certainly hoped, but, but, but I, I I assumed that I would, you know, I hoped that I would be able to get a job there, get a job somewhere in the music business when i graduated yeah but i but i don't know that um i I don't know i I don't know that that was that seemed like a a reality per se i mean things at some point you know um at some point we we got a lot better like that initial incarnation of the band Mm -hmm. uh sort of fell apart and you know we were we were practicing in a practice studio and there was another band that, uh, like across the hall that was kind of a, a punkish band too. And we were friends and, and a couple of guys left sort of diesel boy and this other band, they were called escape goat was kind of breaking up. And so we sort of uh, took pieces of both of those things. And that, that was the lineup that, you know, made the first two diesel boy records, but there was a steep, a steep, uh, um, Uh, curve when that lineup came together at some point, like it just solidified and we started to sound really good. And we were like, go, this sounds way different than what we were doing before. I I think we're onto something here.
0: And so when, when you guys, there was
1: a point, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. I was going to say, and then there was a point at which people outside of our little circle started paying attention. You know, we continued to like record demos and play shows, but then, you know, like I remember, um, you know, uh, I sent a demo to. Uh, there was a, a weekly, a weekly, like a, a music paper called BAM, Bay Area Music Magazine or something, and um, a, and they called and said, "Oh, we're going to feature you goes a demo section where they review demos." And they called and asked me to send a photo, and they wrote this amazing write-up of of this of our of our demo that said you know we were catchier than green day and you know that it was a like glowing review of like three or four songs and then green day's management called and wanted to come see us and then other people called and you know shit just kind of started to happen it seemed like you know people outside of our little circle were kind of paying attention and it it just kind of steamrolled from there
0: so when things start kind of steamrolling you guys put out a seven inch um uh, strap on seven inch, and well, that...
1: so that was that was after. So we did it. We self released a seven inch. We did a split seven inch that you know I think we pressed like three hundred or five hundred copies with a another band in our town that we paid for ourselves. Although that was the sort of pre uh, pre that that was with the the original kind of lineup. Um, w- once things kind of got rolling, we were. Uh, You know, there was a time when, um, so, uh, do you know the band Bracket? Yep. So Bracket were like from our town and they were, they were friends of ours and they got signed to this label called Caroline and, uh, made a record and started going on tour. And it was like, Oh, like this, you know, basically someone close to us was having success. It seemed like, Oh, maybe this is possible. Um, And I don't remember like how you know all the details. I know at a certain point, uh, you know, I had been interning there. I'd been I'd been sort of careful to not tell Fat Mike that I had a band, or you know, to I didn't want them to think that I was interning there with the goal of getting signed to the label. Cause that wasn't really, you know, that wasn't really my, my goal. My goal was to sort of learn the music business and, mm-hmm. and work at the music business. But I liked all those bands and I was in a band. And at some point I told Mike that, you know, I was in a band and he said, Oh, you know, uh, g- give me your demo. And, uh, so I think he listened to an early one and said he liked it, but we should keep writing. And then at some point it was at, it was at a bracket show at bottom of the hill uh bracket had a a motor home and mike was there and um uh i had brought a new demo uh and um and i remember talking to mike and we were i think mike and uh i and the guys from bracket were all hanging out in their in their motor home uh and um, and Mike said, okay, we're going to listen to this, but you can't sit in here, so get out. <laughs> uh, and so I went out and was sitting on the street, and uh, I could hear them listening to it, and they were sort of looking at me through the, through the window of the motorhome. And, uh, and then at some point, Mike emerged and asked if we wanted to do a 7-inch on Fat, and I was, you know, fucking thrilled.
0: Yeah, well, I was going to ask him, like, what you're sitting on the curb while Fat Mike and Brackett are listening – to your demo what's going through your mind other other than like the I mean, I, shit
2: I, I, don't, I
1: don't remember other than I'm sure anxiety and, and nervousness and you know h- hoping that he liked it
0: yeah and so I
1: was, I, the other guys from diesel boy weren't there i don't know i i don't remember the circumstances but i know i was i was by myself mm-hmm. just sort of sitting on Which the curb it... waiting for the verdict i think it was only a couple of songs i don't think it took that long it was maybe five
0: songs no but i'm songs. i'm sure in your mind it was like you're sitting out there for an hour just waiting for someone to come out of there and say yes totally. yes good bad keep writing
1: i certainly wasn't expecting like uh, let's do a seven inch wasn't you know in the realm of possibilities yeah I thought, you know Maybe Mike would like it. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't
0: know. And so you put out that first seven inch and then yeah. <clears throat> you go on to record four albums uh, for Honest on slash Fat. Um, and the one thing that I, I really love, uh, aside from your music, is the songs of every single one of them are very funny. Thanks. Like, yeah, I, I, I right. love, I mean, you hear cock rock, you're like, okay, there's a rooster. All right. And I mean, I'm sure, was that kind of like also a jab at kind of like your hair metal past?
1: So the Are you talking about the song or the title? Uh, of the the title,
0: record? the title. Yeah.
1: I mean, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, it was cheeky and, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the uh, uh, there's a lot of the there's a lot of that material that's funny and that I like and there's some that kind of makes me blush a little but um yeah I mean I think uh, you know the, the, I guess the weird thing about you know your first record is that you don't really like none of those songs were written for a record like those were just the songs that we had we yeah. didn't know that anyone would ever be hearing them you know like Titty Twister which became like the hit uh you know like our most popular song you know like I I, I never thought anyone would really hear it. There was just like a, you know, kind of a dumb song about, you know, sort of being wasted at a, at a party or whatever. Um, and, and so, you know, I think the a lot of the songs on, on that record were just kind of, you know, I forget who originated the phrase, but, you know, they say, you know, you have your whole life to write your first record and then you have, you know, a year to write your second. So yeah, that was definitely true that we just had all this material bouncing around that you know i don't think any of us really expected anyone outside of you know uh our little world to hear it and then you know all of a sudden it, it was a record and I, I can't remember how the how we came up with with cock rock but i don't know we we just liked it and, and we were all kind of metal heads too so it seemed to this kind of make sense
0: and for, so that first album going in to record a full album it's not a seven inch it's not just a couple songs you you're in the studio with ryan green he's the producer right and so what what was the – did you feel there was a, a level that you had to perform at to to make this good? Like, were you um, under a lot of stress? Well, just,
1: to, just to back up uh, uh, just a little bit. So, you know, we did the 7-inch on fat, and we basically demoed – I guess we recorded – we demoed for what would have been cock rock. And Mike said, you know, I like this, but not enough to put it out on fat. And we were kind of devastated because at that point we were excited and you know all our favorite bands were on that label yeah um and uh we weren't exactly sure what we were going to do we ended up uh, i guess through that seven inch we ended up getting a song uh on uh, on this compilation called punk bites that fearless records put yep. out and we had started talking to the guy uh, who runs fearless records and he had interest in putting out our record and you know we were sort of talking about You know what we should do and uh, and we were getting pretty close to uh you know wanting to sign to fearless and uh and then mike called one day and said hey i am gonna start this i'm gonna start another label i don't really it doesn't have a name and i don't really know what it's gonna be but do you want to be the first band on it and we said fuck yeah yeah um and uh that was all we knew when we went in to make the record so you know he basically said okay you know, you guys have eight days, uh, you know, you have six days to record and two days to mix. Uh, and, you know, you can, there's time in May. And so that that was all we really knew. And, you know, he essentially, Mike, I think, said, you know, Ryan should record. At the time, uh, you know, Mike owned the studio or co-owned the studio. Um, uh, and, um, yeah. And so um, I, I don't know that, I don't know that we had expectations that we had to rise. So I don't think we really knew what to expect, honestly. I mean, we recorded, we recorded a bunch of demos, uh, but this was, you know, uh, although the studio was called Razor's Edge, we recorded it as kind of a small, small studio on the ground floor of a San Francisco Victorian house. Uh, but there was a lot of history there. Nirvana had recorded there, and. Um, you know they they made some maybe the Melvins they made some cool records there and you could stay in the house above the studio uh, but it was definitely a real studio and you know um, I don't think we knew what to expect but uh, but yeah we just went in and you know sounds like a long time but you know six days to sort of record a record is, isn't a ton
0: no that's that's very quick especially back before you know you could just plug into your laptop and do everything from home
1: yeah yeah we made our first couple of records. Uh, not on Pro Tools, you know, tape, you know, and Ryan Green, you know, is, was an old school, you know, he grew up, you know, in studios, like he could actually cut tape like this was back in the days where, you know, if you wanted to s- edit a part out of a song, like he would get out the razor blade and, mm-hmm. you know, spike sections of the tape together. And, you know, uh, so, you know, th- there was a lot of that going on, too. So it was definitely more more time consuming.
0: So with the but ba- it was
1: fun. I mean, we had a, we had a blast.
0: So with the band, were you the primary uh, like songwriter or was it kind of a collaborative? Yeah.
1: I would say that the, uh, I mean, I would say both. I mean, yes, I'm the songwriter. I mean, there's a, a couple of songs that uh, maybe, I think there's maybe one song on two or three of the records that I wrote with Justin, the guitar player uh in general you know i would bring in a song that wouldn't quite be fully formed but you know most of it would be together you know the certainly the lyrics and the melody and but maybe not exactly how it's going to start or what the how all the parts were gonna you know what the structure was they weren't mm-hmm. very well arranged so usually you know the collaborative work was kind of you know teaching everyone the songs learning it and then figuring out you know I didn't really, you know, I didn't write other people's parts, so everybody wrote their own parts, and we just, you know, we'd arrange it together and figure out the structure. And so there was certainly a collaborative element, but the the skeleton and the, you know, sort of the framework was in place, but then we'd sort of figure out everything else together.
0: Because something I was noticing when I was kind of doing my research for this, <clears throat> excuse me, the the, the four records that you guys had done, the four full lengths, um, Cockrock in 96, Venus Envy 98, so King cool in 99 and then road hard put away wet in 2001 i mean that's a most bands record every sometimes every four years so being able to just about every two years put out a record and all new songs is is songwriting something that came or comes very easily to you uh
1: not anymore um <laughs> uh i think uh I mean, I don't think... I, at the time, it seems like that was... I, I don't know that it, we felt like we were being prolific at the time, and um, it just seemed like that was kind of the cycle that most of the bands, you know, that were our peers were kind of in. It's like you'd make a record, you'd tour for, you know, six or nine months, and then, you know, uh, you, you'd write and then, uh, and then uh, record a new record. I, I don't have such a... You know, I, I don't remember exactly. I, I, it's hard to recall whether there was pressure from the label, or, you know, to make another record or mm-hmm. if it was pressure that we put on ourselves. You know, I know there was a point at which, um, you know, I think for Sofa King Cool and for, for Road Hard, there, there was a time when we would just book studio time like, you know, six or nine months. Down the line, knowing that you know, essentially that forced us to have to have our shit together and have a record together. Um, so, um, but yeah, I mean, we, it just became part of the cycle. We'd make a record and then we'd go tour, and you know, I guess we were maybe writing a little bit while we were home from that, but we would generally just kind of write in chunks. We'd come home and then I would just start writing. Um, I, I I don't know. I I. I I, it doesn't. I don't have strong memories, but yeah, I guess the songs were just kind of coming fast and furious because we did write a lot of songs, and you know, uh, I guess it's some, you know, in a handful of years—six, seven, eight years—you know, we, to make that many records, I, it, it's true. But at the time, uh, I don't know. It, it didn't feel Herculean or anything. Mm-hmm. It just sort of was the.
0: It's just I what just you did. Sort of how it
1: goes, and you know, we managed to. You know, we never had a ton of extra songs. I think you know. uh, you know, there were always a couple that didn't make the record or that, you know, didn't get recorded or didn't get developed. But, you know, we sort of would write, you know, 14, 15 songs, 16 songs, and then, you know, we'd whittle it down to 13 or 14 or whatever and, yeah, go in and do it.
0: And so after... We
1: were just a machine. We were we were really just kind of a machine. We had a good work ethic and we practiced a lot and we were in the studio as our job. So that's kind of what we did.
0: And after that first... Uh... After Cockwalk Rock was recorded, it's out. Can you remember the first um, big tour that you, you guys went on and kind of what, yeah, what, sure. what that was like?
1: We, we, it, it, yeah, I mean, it was crazy. We'd done a little bit, like, you know, we had done a couple of, like, we'd gone down to, I think, San Diego and L.A. and Santa Barbara. Like, we'd done a little bit of touring, uh, it, touring in quotes. You know, we, we'd left our... We would self booked stuff. Uh, you know, there used to be, Maximum Rock and Roll used to have this thing called Book Your Own Fucking Life. Yeah. And it was this, um, you know, it was this uh, magazine format, but it was basically a book and it went state by state and listed venues and bands and promoters. And, you know, you could really sort of like DIY a, a, a tour if you wanted to. And so we used that to like book, you know, shows b- before uh, we had records and, you um, but, yeah, when we were at some point, I think, in the studio uh, or short, you know, before our record came out, you know, uh, Fat Mike asked if we wanted to go on tour with Strung Out. And it was, a, it was an insanely long, in hindsight, an insanely long tour. It was nine weeks. It was the U.S. and Canada. We never did a tour that long ever again. Uh, and it Strung Out was on the, the Suburban Teenage Wasteland Blues uh, record, and, um, and it was on a tour bus and um uh which we shared with them and uh and god we were just so green and inexperienced and had no idea what what we were getting into yeah you know uh we were totally intimidated and you know i remember like driving up you know and uh driving to i don't even remember how we got there but you know meeting the tour bus in this parking lot and just being like holy shit (laughs) uh And you know we we hadn't we'd played shows maybe with some like at at some point we before we were signed like we opened for Biohazard um, and uh, you know we'd played a couple of shows with some bigger bands but certainly not you know and we'd done a couple of you know like I guess on that like mini tour that we booked. You know, we played every night or every other night, but certainly nothing on that scale. Not like, a, you know, real shows where there were, like, kids at the shows every night and playing every night and, you know, tra- traveling on a tour bus. Yeah, it was like our minds were blown.
0: Yeah. Can you can you remember, like, being on the tour bus? I mean, you're in very c- close quarters with a bunch of people. Was there ever a time where you're like, fuck this. I'm no way. I'm, I am I can't do this.
1: I think we were so fucking excited to be doing this thing like it just seemed like wow i can't believe we're doing this this is fucking amazing um and you know we were young and you know uh, you know sort of j- just sort of doing it i mean i i certainly remember times later on when it when uh you know years later after you know well, when you're just all in the van together and you've talked yeah. about everything there is to talk about, and it's just sort of like the same routine, you know, day after day. And, you know, I certainly remember, uh, I certainly remember the grind of it and it was not always fun, but I remember that first tour, the first couple of tours being insanely fun.
0: Mm-hmm. And so you guys, <clears throat> excuse me again, uh, released four records after Road Hard, Put Away Wet. The band doesn't break up, but kind of, i don't know i hiatus whatever what what kind of happened after that last record where it was just kind of kind of done
1: yeah i mean i think it was like uh you know a, a confluence of events um you know i i think we realized that um we probably could have continued to sort of do what we were doing at the level that we were doing it but it wasn't super lucrative i mean we were able to you know, roughly cobbled together a living, but we were never, you know, we were never a big band. We were like a medium sized band. And mm-hmm. we could, you know, sort of jump between doing our own tours and supporting bigger bands. And that seemed like a healthy mix of stuff. And I think we realized that we probably could have kept doing that, um, You know, I can only speak for myself and my my own experience, but, you know, the lifestyle definitely takes its toll. You couldn't have normal relationships. Uh, We weren't making a lot of money. You know, I guess I was afraid that I would be, you know, uh, the age that I'm at now and have no other life skills Mm -hmm. other than uh, singing and playing in a punk band. And that was kind of scary to me. Um, And, um while we were I guess slight, shortly before we recorded road hard um, I ended up getting a job at this musiccom as like a music expert I was listening to music and sort of categorizing it it, it was kind of like it, sort of doing what Spotify and you know a lot of other companies are doing now but this was you know 20 years ago in 2000, 1999 or 2000 um, so I got this job at a at a .com, uh and I uh, and, like, you know, I worked there for, like, maybe nine months, and the, the company got bought by Microsoft, and uh, and so I, I thought, well, shit, this is fucking weird. Uh, uh, what a strange transition uh, in my life this would be, but I thought, well, oh, if it sucks, I'll – can always move back i thought oh maybe the, you know maybe this will be fun i've been to seattle a bunch of times on mm. tour and i like i don't know like maybe i'll get rich and make you tons of money and <laughs> i don't know it just seemed like an interesting uh fork in the road and so you know i i sort of accepted and you know uh relocated and you know uh became an employee of microsoft while you know simultaneously recording a record with my punk band and you know uh taking my vacation time to go on tour and um And I I guess the lifestyle of that appealed to me. I wanted some stability. So, you know, that coupled with, you know, uh, some addiction issues in the band made touring less fun overall. And I I guess just, you know, just some sense that, you know, uh, there wasn't, I I don't know. I I guess personally, I felt like I'm not sure, you know, I I just wasn't, I wasn't sure how long I could keep doing it at the level that, that we were doing it. And so, you know, at some point, I, I think, uh, you know, I uh, I, uh, I guess I just didn't want to do it as much as I did at, at some point in my life. And I was doing other things that were equally interesting to me. And, mm. you know, I, regretfully, I probably wasn't as communicative with everyone else in the band at the time as I could have been about what I wanted or where I was at. And, uh, you know, I, I still have residual guilt about you know, uh, I think those guys probably would have continued to do it or wanted to do it, um, but they couldn't do it without me. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, and and I don't know. I mean, it was a, it it was a a strange time, uh, strange time, but, you know, I I guess I sort of started a a new life that was, you know, outside, outside of all that. It seemed like I wasn't going to be able to do both things. Uh, Both things were going to require, you know, my full attention. And I didn't, didn't seem like i could juggle both and so at some point it just kind of it just kind of wound down
0: yeah i mean which which happens in a lot of bands especially when you're like you had said you're 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 essentially a working class band you're not getting you know millions and millions of dollars in in royalties you have to in order to make money you have to go out and tour and make that happen and record and do it again so if you're not seeing the uh the The benefit of that other than, you know, you love making music, you love hanging out with your buds, you like seeing the fans and performing. It, it, yeah, it just kind of makes sense that it eventually does just kind of wind down.
1: I think the grind of all of that, like, you know, it was awesome for, you know, the like hour that we were on stage was, was great. And I loved seeing the Seeing the country, I love traveling. You know, we went to Australia. We went to Europe a bunch of times. You know, we saw everywhere. You know, in in North America, uh, but you know, we you know we we were basically d- doing it all ourselves. You know, I, like at our best tours, we had maybe two people with us. You know, a a, a merch guy and a and a roadie, and you know, we were driving ourselves, and, um, and and you know, it was all pre-cell phone. You'd have to like you know print out these itineraries. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, I think Google Maps existed, but not cell phones. You'd have to go to a phone and call the promoter, and you know, and then figure out the how long the drive was going to take. It was a lot of work. It yep. wasn't glamorous. You know, maybe we'd have two rooms at a Motel Six or a Super Eight. You know, like you could share a bed with someone, and you know, so it certainly wasn't glamorous. And, uh, And while still fun, you know, it it did also feel like a grind. You know, sometimes it was winter and there was snow and the drives (laughs) were long and the loading the shit up three flights of stairs in the snow. You know, I mean, it it all just becomes a blur and people ask you the same questions night after night. Yeah. You know, you're playing the same songs night after night. It just all becomes this sort of dizzying blur of kind of all, all the, you know. Every stinky punk club from here, here to Timbuktu is kind of the
2: same.
0: Yeah, they, I'm sure they all just kind of morph into one. I, I was totally. only I was only lucky enough to see you guys once, and that was in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. And I think, if I remember correctly, it was you guys and Bigwig on tour. Uh huh. And that was the only time. Right. That was the only time I ever got a chance. Which kind of, looking back on it now, I'm like, God damn it! I wish I could have seen you more. But <laughs> you know.
1: We did a lot of touring in Canada. Canada was always one of our, like, best markets, you know. Uh, definitely Eastern Canada from, like, you know, maybe Ontario. We I, Well, one tour, we went all the way to, like, New Brunswick. We went to Nova oh, wow. Scotia, New Brunswick, and, you know. I, uh, And, um, but, yeah, like, you know, Montreal and uh, Toronto and, uh, uh, Edmonton, Calgary, uh, you know, those were always really, really good markets for us. We always, you know, I think all the Fat rec bands did really well in all those places. I remember on uh, being on tour, with strung out. I think, it, I think it was Montreal. I played this place, the Spectrum. It was huge. It was like fifteen hundred people. It was yep. like, you know, three times bigger than most of the places we were playing. It was crazy.
0: I'm, I'm actually, it, it's it's funny you say that because it's it's almost like there's a kind of uh, revitalization in kind of that genre of of music because there's a whole bunch well before the before this outbreak kind of hit there's a whole bunch of stuff scheduled to come through here through winnipeg and what what i love especially about fat bands and even just punk bands in general is when they say a north american tour it's usually means like full canada hopefully they're able to get into the east coast but i know that's a that's a tough nut to crack over there in like Halifax and PEI and stuff.
1: Yeah. But, oh man. Those kids were so happy that oh we yeah. were there. I,
0: I used to do shows in, in a small town in Saskatchewan and it didn't matter who it was. The, the, the kids would love it and yeah. would spend so much money on merch because totally. they've got nothing else to do the rest of the year. So it was, it was also that being said, very stressful because sometimes not a lot of people would show up. So it's like, fuck now money's coming out of my pocket and this isn't fun anymore. Yes, totally. So after 2001, uh, you move up to Seattle and the band kind of just like you said, winds down, but you, you haven't stopped playing music. You have a new band called the dirty out.
1: Correct. Uh, although that's sort of, that sort of, uh, wound (laughs) down too. So there's a little piece in the middle where um, I don't even know how many years ago. You know, uh, over the years we've tried to revisit Diesel Boy in Mm -hmm. in various ways, um, and uh, and there was a point at which uh, you know we were trying to. I think we initially we we resisted the urge to tour. And just play old material and so at some point i think the focus was well let's see if we can you know write some new material um and also you know geographically you know i'm you know a thousand miles from the the rest of the band so yeah. we couldn't really practice so you know being able to demo and send those guys songs that they could learn uh and then we'd get together for a couple of days and and rehearse. Uh, So at some point we, you know, we wrote maybe 10 songs. um, And, um, and we uh, actually, you know, circling back to bracket uh, Marty from bracket came to wherever we were practicing and brought his like ancient Apple computer and uh, some version of pro tools. And we, he demoed these 10 songs, uh, that uh, that we were working on, and uh, and I sent them to Fat Mike at some point, and was like, hey, let me know what you think. And uh, he told me that uh, he liked half of them, and that half of them sounded like Dawkins and he didn't like the half that sounded <laughs> like Dokken. um I, I'm not I'm paraphrasing the the email, but yeah. something like that. And he basically said, you know, write this many more, and I think you'll have a great record. Um, but uh, but I I don't know I, we lost we lost the steam and you know it had taken us a long time to get that ten uh, and uh, and I, yeah I don't know so the, the the people always mention this on our Facebook page and stuff you know what happened to that record I do have the demos of of that record and there's some good stuff on there. Uh, there are some good songs, um, and I don't know. We maybe someday we'll we'll decide that people should get to hear that. But uh, yeah. you know, it was, it was uh, it's rough, and it was you know, uh, a sort of half-formed record. But I, so I took a couple of those songs when I uh, started the the new band and found some guys up here, and you know, we sort of used that as the launching pad uh, to have stuff to play on and to to sort of get us started but um so i had some of those songs and then eventually we sort of found our footing as a you know as a band and we recorded a, a couple of things but uh and you know it, it can be challenging to find guys my age who uh want to be serious about being in a band mm-hmm. uh who aren't looking to like you know live the dream and you know get signed and get in the van and you know so we all have families and yeah you know uh, careers and um, I don't know I mean I, I, I it just it gets hard I, I, I honestly I found the whole process uh, 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 speaking about uh, about dirty outs uh, you know I'm I've just I don't understand the music business like I once did or, or rather at least just you know I I can't get people to come out to a show. I, you know, I don't know that many people. The people that I know I have kids. are not going to spend, you know, a hundred bucks on a babysitter and come watch us play at midnight, yeah. you know, at a, a dive bar. And you know, getting shows is challenging. You know, well, how many Instagram followers do you have, and how many Facebook likes do you mm-hmm. have? And it's like two hundred. I don't know. Uh, so, you know, I found that I, I really loved the writing songs and the playing and the getting in a room and playing and writing and sort of being uh and, and the recording and uh you know we recorded two things and you know there's a there's a facebook page and a bandcamp page and it's on spotify and all the music services so you, people can definitely check it out and i i like the songs uh but the but all the rest of it the playing shows and you know there's no infrastructure so it's you know i got to load my amp into my prius and double park downtown and <laughs> load the shit down the stairs and then go move my car and you know it, you know, at midnight on a Sunday when I got to be up early for the work or whatever, like yep. all of that is a lot less sexy uh, in my mid-40s than it was in my in my mid-20s. So I think it just it, – in that regard too, it just was a lot more challenging. And then, you know, the holidays came up and you know, there were – people had other obligations and, and that just kind of – we just kind we had to – we were sharing a practice space with the band, and you know it wasn't so great. And so we gave up our practice space, and then that just sort of fell
0: apart. Just so, fell apart. So looking back yeah. on kind of your your whole career, especially the I don't want to say the formative years, but you know your your very busy years from '96 through 2001 with Diesel Boy. Is there anything that you'd like to that you kind of regret or that you wish you would have done different during that time?
1: Hmm. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I'm proud of the records that we made. And, you know, all that we did, you know, we surpassed any expectations that I ever had for, you know, my success as a musician. And, you know, we made records, and we got to see the lot of the world for free. And, you know, I made, you know, friends that I'm still friends with. And, you know, I, we met a million bands and played a million shows. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, I I, I wish I had... So I wish I, you know, it would have been nice if we'd been able to keep it going in some way and, you know, uh, uh, because I, I do, uh, I do enjoy those guys and, uh, you know, I'm proud of the music that we made. And, you know, we still talk every once in a while, but, you know, certainly opportunity is there with, you know, things like Riot Fest and, you know, these mm-hmm. European festivals and we've had offers to do stuff like that. It's just, it's hard geographically and, you uh, it's hard with all of our schedules, and you know we feel so out of practice. Uh, so I, I mean, n- never say never, but uh, I don't know. I, I I don't know that I have any regrets or that I would do anything different. I'm I'm proud of all the stuff that we did, and you know, I, uh, there's no like big mi- mistake that that stands out to me or or, or you know missed opportunities. Um, you know, uh, you know I, I love all all the stuff that we did, and I'm so grateful that you know people like you still want to talk to me, and that you know. I I at the end of the year get a a statement from Spotify saying how many streams, you know, uh, were played or whatever, and I'm I'm still shocked that, you know, people still care as much as they do and I I love that.
0: I mean, I'm I'm not gonna lie, those especially I mean Cockrock to me, it gets played probably once a week. It's I I, I I mean that's great. I still I I love that. I still love it. it. It it was definitely one of those records that as a I don't know, sounds so stupid, but as a young punk rocker, just figuring stuff out is, it was very influential to me It's just like the sound, the, the kind of at, at points like the, the funny, silly lyrics. And just, you could definitely tell that you're not taking yourselves too seriously, but definitely seriously enough, but still really having fun with what you're doing.
1: Well, thanks. Uh, I appreciate that, and, uh, you know, that, that makes me happy, and, you know, I think it's hard to see your own music in that, well, it's hard for me anyway to see, you know, my, my own music uh, in that way, but I know how important music is to me, and I know what those records are for me, and, uh, and you know, I think that that was always, you know, the goal, or my hope is, you know, if you can, if you can be that for somebody, I mean, that, that's amazing. Uh, you know, one of my most cherished memories or possessions from that time, you know, uh, because it was all pre-internet. You know, we had our, our address in our, we had a P.O. box in all of our uh, records, and you know, people would write letters, and I've got these suitcases full of letters that people wrote us, you know, just telling us about their lives or sending yeah. us pictures, and you know, I mean, it is amazing that people would take the time to do something as simple as write a letter. But you know, if I ever Man, if I ever am having a bad day—not that I ever do this—but you know, some, someday <laughs> if I if I'm having a bad day, you know, there's no doubt that just opening that stuff up and reading a few of those letters from people just telling you know us that they love our band and you know uh, some semblance of or, or even just you know uh, send us some free stickers. You guys are fucking awesome. <laughs> you know, whatever it is, like in whatever way, you know, it's deeply meaningful, even if the. The content of the letters may not have been so eloquent, you know. I it it is meaningful, and you know, thank you for saying that, and thank you for still listening. It's, just, it's awesome.
0: Well, I want to thank you for sitting down talking to me. I could probably talk to you for another three hours, but I realize uh-huh. we 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 both have stuff to do, which is sit in quarantine. But you know, there there there's things things to do. That's for sure. Especially you being a dad, and I know you said the kids aren't around right now, but you know, if there's work, there's kids, there's always something to do. Yep. But thank you for sitting I, down to talk.
1: I, I got a new record to write.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks for sitting down and talk with me, Dave. Yeah, thank um, you. Hopefully it we'll it was nice chatting with you. Hopefully we'll get a chance to see Diesel Boy maybe at like punk rock bowling or something in sometime in the future. If not, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what this new record's gonna sound like <laughs> me too <laughs> awesome thanks dave all right man thank you bye well there you go there was my conversation with dave from diesel boy i hope everybody enjoyed listening to it as much as i enjoyed doing it it was great to learn like i said off the top where dave came from um just some of the stories he had and oh uh, it, it was so great to finally talk to him i wish they were still. They they haven't officially broken up. They're still. They're still kind of going. You know. There's nothing official. They're just kind of in very very prolonged hiatus. But it would be great to see them back and going. I mean, it'd be great to see any kind of music back and going. But you know, it, it's a time we live in right now, and that's what we got to do. Uh, with that being said, Winnipeg's very lucky. We do have some shows going on, and I I I encourage you to go check them out. If we don't support local. Artists, they're not going to support us. And for example, I just saw uh, a show a couple days ago. By the time this hits air, and it is this uh, this person named Erica Fowler, and she blew my fucking mind. She was incredible. I'm like, I where where have I been sleeping on this? I don't I don't get how I missed this. But they were just it, it so incredible. And that show was at the Park Theater. And so if you get a chance to go to shows, go show your love you know, we're all bored. There's there's not much to do. There's some venues that are opening and they're trying. So get out there, do it, and support your local your local vendors, your local venues, your local bands. You know, buy a t-shirt if you can, buy an album, whatever you can do. Show up at the show. Tell somebody about it. It's as easy as that. So I want to thank Dave for taking the chance to talk to me, or taking the chance, taking the time to talk to me. And we talked about it a little bit in the uh, in the in the conversation about a new album, and they do have it recorded. And he was nice enough to send over a little a little sampler, and by sampler I mean it's a few little snippets of songs cut in between, um, you know, with some radio static noise in between. And he was nice enough to send that over, and it just got me all kinds of excited to hear, you know, what what Diesel Boy has in the can because they've got an album, so maybe maybe we can get Fat to record that or, or re- release it or something. Just, oh, I'm, it just got me excited to hear it because it sounds really good. So that's going to be the first song up because I always play songs after the interview. Uh, after that, I'm going to play, these are kind of my three favorite, I mean, I could play each of the albums for ad nauseum, but we're not going to do that. I picked my three kind of favorite songs. Um, the one after the, the teaser is the song that kind of started it all for me it was, I believe, on Survival of the Fattest. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, I'm sure I hear about it, but a song called Titty Twister. After that, it's summer. It's a great summer song, Endless Summer Days, and then we're going to finish it all off with a song called Emo Boy. So I hope everybody enjoyed it, uh, listening to the podcast as much as I enjoy doing it. We've got some more stuff coming up, and I hope everyone's safe. I hope everyone's well, and hopefully we'll see you at a show real soon.
2: it's change Within- Falling down.